can we agree on something this morning? There are some really lousy ways to share the gospel. All right, can, can I say that again? Out there, there are some really lousy ways. To, I cannot get the concept of Christian graffiti, all right? So, so sometimes I'll drive by, you know, and you'll see somebody who's taken the time to spray paint something or you're in a restroom and you see, and I'm like, that's weird, all right? Can we agree that that's weird? No, some of you are like, I do this every day. All right, you're weird, okay? So Christian graffiti, um, you know, in the back about 500 AD, uh, during the time of the Crusades, uh, there was a time period when an army would conquer another army of people who weren't Christians. And in the process of them um, retreating, they would like spray water on them and that would be the way they baptized them. That's a lousy way to try to share the gospel, right? Uh, it is pretty far away from our understanding of faith. Uh, we, we recognize that there are some lousy ways of sharing the gospel. Sometimes people who don't represent Christianity well have done things, Jesus described it as putting burdens on other people's backs so they, them, that they themselves were not willing to carry. I, I think some, another lousy way of uh, attempting to share the gospel is missionary dating. You know, the idea that you're going to date somebody who doesn't share your faith, but then you're going to fix them after marriage. Hey, by the way, good luck with that, right? It's just, it's just not how it works, right? Uh, when I was at Cedarville uh, University, uh, one, of, one of the chapel speakers, we had chapel every day there, and uh, one of the chapel speakers told a story, and I still, I think of this so often, and it's partially because it is weird, okay? So he told this story about the fact that he was, they were having some church services at their church, and he loved gospel tracts, and I'm not here to criticize gospel tracts. I know at least one or two of you that a gospel track, you know, guys know those things. Some of you know them as click tracks, um, but, but the gospel track was meaningful for you. Um, and, and maybe it was the way you were exposed to the gospel. I'm not criticizing it, but I am criticizing this. This is what he said he did. He said he was driving down the road in a school bus with a bunch of students. I think they were praying for a rally that was coming up. And he saw a guy on the side of the road. And so he took a gospel track. He said this out loud and he threw it out the window, hit the guy in the head. And then like a week later, the guy came to church and he said it was that, that track. So at Cedarville, after chapel that day, we all went outside and we practiced our, um, not, no, we did not do that. So um, that's weird, right? Can we agree that that's unusual? Today, as we study God's word, one of the things that we're going to see is the primary way that the Lord chooses to advance the gospel in scripture is through individuals who've been impacted themselves by the gospel have a personal, meaningful relationship with somebody, and people who are willing to articulate that to those who are around them. When I use the term contagious joy, we're going to see a time period. We've been talking about Paul as we study the book of Philippians, and we've recognized that he himself is in a time of crisis. He, is, um, he doesn't know what tomorrow's going to bring. He's under persecution. He's also under house arrest. And so his circumstances are hard, but what we get to see in the text, it's really, really meaningful to me, is that we get to see that the gospel cannot be held back by chains. That the gospel, that was like worthy of an amen or something like that. Like the gospel cannot be held back by individuals who would attempt to silence its message. The gospel cannot be held back, especially when a person is manifesting the joy of the Lord. So this isn't about Paul's joy necessarily. It's actually about a Holy Spirit-driven 
joy that comes from a person that lives above their circumstances. And I'll tell you, you cannot ignore that when somebody is manifesting that in their life. And so what we're gonna see in the text together today is we're gonna see the contagious spread of the gospel that happened through an elite guard that was posted to be a part of the Apostle Paul's life through shackling him. And yet what's gonna happen is the gospel can't be contained. I know when you put the word contagious on the screen that that's, uh, those are hard words after a, a long pandemic, right? I had one friend who shared with me, he said, I didn't go out of my house for an entire year. Um, I, I, I went out for just three hours. I took the dog for a walk, grabbed some groceries. I came back home, I took a bath in um, antibacterial lotion. Uh, the whole time I was out, I wore a mask, got COVID, right? You guys know, like some of you have these stories, right? Where we recognize how contagious something can be. I want us to think about it though in the positive sense that when your life has been impacted by the gospel, there's a sincerity in this. When you've tasted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to be something that radiates in your life. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are, he's pointing to you. He says, you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That passage is all about the gospel, and we're going to see this flow out of our study of, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 12. And as we study God's word together, I'm going to ask that he speaks to us, that the Holy Spirit enlightens us, and that we receive the message that he has for us today as we see that the true gospel, when it's applied to our life, it is absolutely contagious. I love that this crisis that the Apostle Paul is going through is going to lead to great opportunities for the gospel to spread. In verse 12, it says this, I want you to know, brothers, and I think it's appropriate to say, and sisters here, that what has happened to me has really, it's truly served to advance the good news of the gospel. Uh, I, I look at the, the first verse and I, I think of a time when on the stove, the, the grease fire is on the stove and you go and you take water and you dump it on top of it and you're trying to put it out and what it does is it just spreads it out. And I think that's what happens here is the gospel is advanced through a very unexpected way. Paul says in verse 13, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, so it's not just the imperial guard, but to others that are outside of the imperial guard. We assume in many ways the household of Caesar, we assume people in the community of Rome, that the gospel has been, um, so that it has been known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are so much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, so what he's saying here is the gospel has not only permeated those people who are shackled to me, but the gospel has spread outside of this. Now, you take the missionary, that, that one of the most gifted missionaries ever to walk the earth, you chain him in a house and you think his message would be silenced, right? 
But instead, what he chooses to do is just live his faith in that circumstance. I don't want us to ignore the fact that this represents a crisis in Paul's life. This represents a very difficult moment in history. And I'm guessing if I interject myself into that story, I think that there would be many things that I would be frustrated with. One, that I'm not able to have the liberties that I should have had in the country that I lived in that I was um, under some kind of direct persecution that wasn't quite fair, that there were other people who'd done less than him that were experiencing more freedom than him. We can keep going through this list, and I want to challenge you. I'm going to ask you to put yourself in this situation, and I'm going to ask you, if you were under these kind of circumstances, how is it that you would respond to them? And the best example of that is our day-to-day -day life. You know what's interesting about sharing the gospel is that Lifeway Study did some research and they recognized that people like us that come to church, and you're at church, so I can assume that about you, that people who come to church semi-regularly agree about 80% of the time that it's our responsibility to share the gospel. We believe that that's really important. We, we, if we had to take a test after church, do you think God wants you to share the gospel with people who are around you? Most of us would say yes. But historically, it's about two out of five that actually do it. And that gap is something that's significant for us. I think for some of us, the reason why we can't say what the Apostle Paul says here is that we do not want to associate with Christianity. I think I, I need to be blunt about it. I think we've seen people who have represented Christ poorly, or we look at the Angelas of the world from the office, or Ned Flanders, um, and, and we, we can keep going, right? These portrayals, caricatures that are in our society that always represent Christians as, are often, I'm sorry, represent Christians as hypocritical, as people who want to put burdens on other people's backs that they don't want to bear, that there are people who choose to ignore the, um, the true reality of the needs that are of those that are around them. But what we see here with the Apostle Paul is he's willing to say, I'm under crisis, I'm in an experience of crisis, but I'm going to see this crisis as an opportunity for the gospel to spread. At the end of verse 1, when it says that these, this has really served to advance the gospel, I just want to remind you, whenever we see the word gospel in God's word, we're talking about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in football games today, there's going to be someone who holds up the sign that says John 3.16. And actually, John 3.16, the entire book of John in its context, articulates a very simple and clear view of what it means for us to be saved by grace. If you guys know Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think that that's an important thing for us to remember when we talk about the gospel, that it's not about people who are perfect. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. This is the bad news of the gospel. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our salvation is not because we've earned it. It is because we've received, as Romans 5.8 says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in John 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be, do you remember what the word is? Saved. So, so those words, it's interesting. We say born again, and it's almost a cuss word in our society. But born again flows right out of John 3, when the Lord interacts with Nicodemus, when we talk about 
the woman at the well and the description of Jesus' encounter when he greets us where we're at and he knows where we need to go, we recognize. Do you remember Jesus' last words before when he died on the cross? He said, it is finished. And that word is a Greek word, tetelestai. It means actually both it is finished and it is paid in full. So Jesus paid in full the sins that you and I have accrued in our life. Um, but what I, what I appreciate when we talk about maybe people outside of the gospel that would accuse us of being hypocritical or not quite understanding um, what it means to live in a broken world or, or those things, I, I think that it's really helpful. Ian e. Blakelock put it this way, and I love this statement. He said, it's always well to remember that the church is not composed of people who are better than the rest but of people who are seeking by God's grace to be better than they are. Not of people who are perfect, but of people who are dissatisfied with their imperfection. I'll just tell you, that represents me in my life. That, that's what I want to live in my life. Is I, I want to recognize sin in my life and take it seriously and to not ignore it. I think that this crisis that the Apostle Paul was going through, it ultimately led to some powerful opportunities I think it's appropriate as well as we talk about this Laugh Again series that you and I can choose joy in the midst of great circumstances, uh, difficult circumstances. I love this statement by A.B. Simpson. He talks about the secret of choosing joy. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I think this is so helpful. He says, the secret of joy is not to wait until you feel happy but to rise by an act of faith out of the depression, which is dragging you down and begin to praise God as an act of deliberate choice. This is the meaning of such passages that we're familiar with, like rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4. Or I then therefore do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice, Philippians 1.18. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, James 1.2. In all of these cases, there is an evident struggle with sadness and then the triumphs of faith and praise. This is what is meant, at least in part, by the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice is that which costs us something. And when a man or woman has some cherished grudge or wrong and is harboring it, nursing it, dwelling on it, and quite determined to enjoy a miserable time in selfish grumbling, it costs us no little sacrifice to throw off the morbid spell, to raise out of the mood of little sacrifice, to throw off um, self-commiseration and wholesome and holy determination and say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will count it all joy. That's what Paul did. He was in a terrible circumstance. Let's not diminish his circumstances, but he chose to count it all joy. I think there's reasons why we struggle with this. I think for some of us, we, we don't share the gospel because of opposition, direct opposition or persecution. I think for many of us, it's the fear of reprisals. I think it's also a lack of fruitfulness. I think that's what partially puts some of us in that two out of five that are three out of five that don't share the gospel with others, even though we know we should. I think we think it's not my job. Others are better at it. There's others who are more informed. But I just want to remind you of the fact that this is our privilege. This is our responsibility. It is our joy. And I think it's helpful for us to notice in the crisis that Paul was going through that those reasons were not enough to stop him from advancing the gospel. 
I think what the gospel can do is it can transform pain into possibilities. Some have said it well when they say setbacks can be setups for the opportunity to share the gospel. So here we're looking at the Praetorian Guard, and we recognize, we've mentioned this already, that there was about 10,000 of these hand-picked soldiers uh, worthy of double pay, the elite. Um, they were um, chosen originally in Rome by Tiberius, and um, they were a powerful, unique um, elite guard that uh, many longed to be a part of. And they would have, in the days maybe before or after Paul, uh, would have been guarding uh, incredibly important um, people who were um, significant, like Nero. Uh, and they would have had the tasks of guarding Nero and his family. And some of them, like, um, like uh, those guards, would have been the ones sent to kill Nero's wife uh, and give his, Nero's wife's head to his uh, girlfriend. And these stories are incredible. What these what these individuals would have done. So they, here they would have been people who are guarding Paul who don't share his faith necessarily, don't, don't have any history or context for the gospel. And yet what Paul chooses to do is he sees this painful circumstance through the lens of the gospel. And, and he recognizes that the gospel is the best news that anybody can receive, right? He, he recognizes that it's his incredible privilege to represent it even to these people who are chained to him. And Paul knew a secret about the gospel. You think about the term good news. And I'll just remind you, church, that the gospel needs a messenger. So we have spent our life hearing the St. Francis Assisi quote that says, uh, speak the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And, and I want to remind you that words are necessary in order to articulate saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? That words are necessary to articulate saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I believe that that's partially why the Lord has us here on earth. The good news needs a messenger. And this is regardless of our circumstances. And, and let me also say, even in Paul's case, regardless of the consequences. You know, um, I, I mentioned that this is contagious earlier. And I, I want us to catch this as we see the second point this morning. And that is when you and I focus on sharing our joy... It is possible for us to ignore what is irrelevant in our life. And here Paul's going to share something that's kind of vulnerable. I think what's happened at the church at this time is that we're in Rome and something had happened that's a little different than what we saw in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, we saw that there were just first churches that were in community. Sometimes like the church in Philippi when it was begun, there's just a handful of believers that came out of the synagogue and uh, that church grew. Well, probably in Rome now, there's multiple churches, there are mul multiple pastors, there's multiple uh, ministries that are happening in the community. And you know what happens when that happens, right? Just the same way you and I are going to cheer for a team today, uh, we, we pick our sides, right? And we know why we cheer for one, and we know why we like this guy, and we know why we support this this ministry, or we made choices depending on how we're going to represent things. And, and that was happening in the church. Uh, and it's actually quite tragic, but what's so beautiful about it, so Paul's going to say there's conflict that surrounds his ministry in Rome. The, the very apostle Paul, the one that the Lord had sent to be an ambassador for the gospel, there are people who are critical of his ministry. And here, his response to it is so encouraging to me. He says, some indeed preach Christ, that's the message of the gospel, out of envy and rivalry, which 
I'm going to say bluntly, is shameful. It's tragic that there would be people who see ministry like spiritual check, checks in the boxes or gold, gold, gold stars that they receive because they're sharing the gospel or maybe even building their own kingdom. He says there's some that preach Christ out of envy and some out of conflict or rivalry, but there's others that do so from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So, so people had heard that Paul was in chains. They were, they were guessing for some two years that this had gone on. And there were some who said he's there because he deserves to be there because he's a criminal. And that was people within the church. So he dealt with this accusation or conflict that was surrounding him. And you know what I love that the Apostle Paul boils this down to saying, like, as long as the gospels preach, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> as long as the gospels exalted in this process, my, my name, uh, my reputation is probably not that big of a deal. So here he puts it in perspective. He recognizes that there is rivalry and conflict and I think that what he ends up doing, and I, I encourage you for some of you who are crushed under the pain of your circumstances, that when you and I share the gospel, we can experience a beautiful self-forgetfulness. In other words, what Paul is experiencing here is he's like, it's not that big of a deal that people think lowly of me. In fact, my circumstances, as painful as they are, are nothing compared to the suffering of Christ and my ability to represent his loving kindness well. In other words, we got more work to do, so let's stop worrying about things that don't matter. Hey, hey church, uh, I'd like to say that to each and every one of us. We've got more work to do, so let's stop worrying about things that don't matter. I think it's helpful for us to recognize when we focus on sharing our joy, we ignore what is irrelevant. And I think that what is relevant is the sharing the gospel out of the overflow of our hope. Charlie, Charles, I'm sorry, Charles Spurgeon um, said this about the Apostle Paul in this text, and I love it. He says, notice the beautiful self-forgetfulness of the Apostle Paul. So long as the gospel could be more widely published, he didn't mind where he was or what he suffered. Can, can you say that about your own life? Can you say that about your own circumstances, even those that are difficult or challenging or that you wouldn't have chosen? Uh, I believe with this kind of perspective, we can say this regardless of our circumstances. I think what can happen then is the gospel can flow out of the overflow of our hope. I mentioned earlier that beautiful statement that we want to be people who are prepared to give an answer for the hope that we hold dear. That's fiercely personal. That's my story. It's what happened in my life. And I'll, and I'll just tell you that there have been people in my life that I've watched from a distance that I've seen their uncharacteristic joy. There was a, a senior in high school um, when I was at, at Wayne High School, public school in, in the Huber Heights, Dayton area, that I remember when I came into that school that she was a person who cared about people who you wouldn't expect her to care about. She was a person who was uh, daily living with joy. In her own life, her parents were going through a painful divorce. She had very difficult circumstances at home. But she was a person from a distance. I remember as a freshman, didn't really know her very well. But for, as a freshman, I noticed the fact that she was a person that radiated joy. And I'll tell you, I'm talking about it some 30 years later. 
because of the fact that I saw that. And I think what happens with these guys who are shackled to the Apostle Paul is they're, they're living their mundane lives and they're doing their job. And in the midst of this process, they see somebody who has uncharacteristic joy. They see Christ in the Apostle Paul and they can't ignore it. Isn't that awesome? So his light is shining in such a way that, um, that the, in his, his hope is, is still so tangible that they can't even ignore it. So, so I'm going to be blunt and say, stop complaining about what God has not done in your life. Stop complaining about what God has not done and start rejoicing what, and what God is going to do. You see that? You see that perspective change that comes? I think this is partially what it means for us to have a joyful mindset. I'm quoting Warren Wearsby here. He says, you look upon your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, and you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. Uh, some of you, you need to write that down today. I, I told you I did. I needed to write that down because it's so incredibly true. I think Paul models for us the third point this morning, and that is proclaiming Christ is really what matters. It's the most essential thing. We see this in verse 18. And uh, so, so right in these verses before, we see that the Apostle Paul celebrating not only the fact that the gospel is being shared amongst the Praetorian Guard, but the gospel spread and other people were inspired to share the gospel. And then at the end, he, he says this in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. I want to I celebrate the fact that um, there are ministries that are in our community that we can partner with that are advancing the gospel, that there are uh, individuals. When we anticipate the ministry fair that we have next week, I, I celebrate the fact that there are ministries that are reaching parts of our community that basically we recognize not every person we interact with in our community is going to come to church, right? Let's admit, church is scary. Um, we are weird people sometimes, right? Uh, sometimes it's hard for people to connect with going through the scary doors of a church. But we also recognize that there are ministries that we can partnership, partner with that have at their core a desire to advance the gospel. And we celebrate that. That's why I'm excited about that list that we have in the back. But what I see with Paul here is that when he says this, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I think we get to see him accentuating this simple truth. You can mess with me, but don't mess with my gospel, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, um, this term, what then, is um, a Greek idiom, tigar, which translated, it means why does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't mean anything. It's no big thing. It doesn't matter at all. Who cares about my own challenges and suffering as long as Christ is, is proclaimed? Church, I, I read this and I see something about the Apostle Paul that I think is very relevant for us today. I, I, I say this in my own life. This is a personal conviction of mine. But I want to be known by people who are around me, not for what I'm against, but I want to be known with people around me, especially in my community, my neighbors, people who surround me, for what I'm for. I want them to understand that the most important thing about me is the gospel, what God's done, not because I'm perfect, but because he chose to love me and to forgive me. And I, I see when Paul says, I rejoice here, I, I think it's helpful for me to understand that he's 
Um, he's living his life in such a way that he's celebrating certain things. And I think um, that it's important for us to know the Apostle Paul at that time period in history, he could have been spending a majority of his time working on a political coup to overthrow the corrupt government that was in front of him. He could have. Uh, he could have spent his time and energy being upset about what wasn't happening in Rome at that time. Rome was messed up. If you haven't read about Rome at that time period in history, it was despicable what was happening. But what the Apostle Paul chose to invest his years of his life in was to be in a cultural context where he deliberately pursued to advance the message of the gospel. And I think that that was characterized by great joy. I think that it's important for us also to be people who thank God for gospel preaching, churches and ministries in our area that are different than us. I'll say that again. I, I rejoice in the ministries of the gospel that are in our area that are different than us. Because if, if the Apostle Paul said, I've become all things to all people for the sake that I might save some, uh, that it's okay that there's different types of churches, different types of messages, different types of of individuals who preach the gospel in different ways. Some of you know the historical conflict between two men that many of us respect, John Wesley and George Whitfield. Uh, it's a matter of historic record that these two English evangelists were people who disagreed heavily on doctrinal matters. Both of them were very successful at preaching to thousands of people and seeing multitudes of people come to Christ. And it's reported that someone asked Wesley, a, um, a news person, asked him if he expected to see Whitfield in heaven. And the evangelist replied, no, I don't. Then, you don't think Whitfield is a converted man? He asked, um, oh, Wesley said back, oh, he's a converted man. But I don't expect to see him in heaven because he will be so close to the throne of God. And I so far away that I will not be able to see him. Though he differed with his brother in some theological matters, he did not have envy in his heart, nor did he seek to oppose the ministry of George Whitfield. I say this to us not because of some apparent conflict that I observe. I actually just see this from, from a perspective that just says, I, I, in my heart, I, I want to join Paul and caring for Brunswick, Medina, Strongsville, the communities that are around us. Many of you have that same heart. And I think that for some of us, as we go back to this series that we're going through about laughing again, is that there's a winsomeness that I believe the Lord desires of us that people ought to see in the way that we choose to live our life. We all recognize in a post-September 11th world, uh, all of us have recognized, I guess, as long as there has been a time, there's been tragedy, there've been crisis and challenges and things that are discouraging. I think when Jesus challenged us in Matthew 5 to let our light so shine before man, he, he was saying something not only about understanding the gospel, but also about our joy, that they would see it in such a way that it's winsome enough that we say, I want that in my life. I need that. And so I think that Paul here is saying, it's irrelevant who gets the credit as long as the gospel is proclaimed. And that's how I feel about being a minister of the gospel. That's how I think about the privilege of partnering with each and every one of you. Um, but I will also remind you that part of my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I was really surprised on some of the more recent research that, um, and this is something we're wrestling with as a church ministry, is that um, historically one of the reasons why people haven't shared the gospel is because they don't feel equipped 
too. And we're going to keep working on that. That's actually a part of the discovery series that we'll get to down the road. But I don't really believe that it's, it's that we can't find the information as to how to share the gospel. I think that the thing that may be hindering us, maybe a governor on top of us, keeping us back from sharing the gospel, is that there's, a, there's an authenticity to our faith that has to be lived out at its core. An ability for us to really say, hey, in the midst of a cancer diagnosis, the Lord's got this. We're good. We're going to be okay. In the midst of a lost job or a painful circumstance, we're, we're going to be okay. It, it's, it's a person who's literally chained to a Roman guard under a false accusation that was misunderstood and yet can say, eh, it doesn't matter. As long as Christ is exalted, that's what matters. I love to share this story. It was one of the goofiest experiences of my life, but I love to share a story of a woman I've shared this in many different settings. That was at a nursing home that my grandfather was at when he was um, at the end of his life. And this woman found out that she had been diagnosed with cancer through a church bulletin. All right. So uh, the church sent her the weekly bulletin and, and had prayer requests in there. And in the moments before that, she had shared with me how excited she was to go home. And she was living at the time with her grandchildren and her son and daughter-in-law, and she was so excited. Her name was Edith. She's just a jewel in Florida. And, um, but, but one of the things that happened when Edith recognized the diagnosis of cancer, that they expected her not to live longer than two weeks. She ended up dying in that two-week time period. One of the things that happened with her was that at the moment that she found that out, which, by the way, is probably one of the worst ways that you can find out that you have terminal cancer, is through your church bulletin when the church was supposed to, what a goof up that was. But, but when she shared it with me, I was just a young boy. Um, I hadn't started ministry. And, but, I, but I saw something that was incredible about this woman. For the next two weeks that the Lord let her live, she was a person who cared for the people who cared for her like they were eternal. Uh, she was a person who loved those people, the nurses and the doctors that were caring for her. So instead of being bitter and angry about the things that she was not going to get to experience, she lived in that, in that nursing home with the joy of the Lord. And I'll just tell you, it's infectious, right? Um, people could not ignore the fact that there was something incredibly different about this woman. Hope Church people, I, I think the Lord has strategically placed us in Places where the gospel doesn't just need to be spoken about, but it need to be, needs to be lived out in a way that people stand back and see the light of the gospel shared in our life. And I think that this whole theme of contagious joy is what we get to see in Paul's life in this time period of great discouragement. That instead of being under his circumstances, he was above his circumstances and let's not ignore it. It said that it had been advanced to the whole Praetorian Guard. Um, the gospel's unstoppable, by the way. Um, the gospel cannot be stopped through persecution. History has proven that. I think the only way the gospel gets stopped is when you and I choose to not recognize its work in our life and not allow it to flow outside of us. Would you join me in praying? Um, we're going to pray for a couple things here. I, I like the way that Warren Wearsby puts this. He says, the same God who used Moses's rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's sling used Paul's chains. And so I'm gonna ask each one of us to ask this question, what do you have in your life that you think God wants to use for the advancement of the gospel? Father God, I, I pray for each and every one of us. I know that in this room we have 
responsibilities and privileges. We have relationships. Um, we have friendships and family. That uh, I believe that you do not want us to be silent about the gospel in our life. That you've asked us to be um, generous with it. And I want to pray for each and every person that's here that you would convict us in the opportunities that you've provided for us, the doors that you've opened for your glory, the, the opportunities that you've chosen to give us to represent your light and allow it to shine before man, that they could see our good deeds and that ultimately they would glorify you in heaven. Would you teach us that? Would your Holy Spirit guide us to that? So, so in each and every setting that we live in, would you remind us of this joyful privilege that you've given us? And I pray for the person that's here that is under their circumstances, that um, is deeply discouraged, overwhelmed, frustrated. Um, Lord, I pray that there would be a sense of relief for them as they focus in on the mission you've given them and maybe neglect the pain of trying to control their circumstances every moment of the day. We, we thank you, Father God, for your goodness. Um, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your knowledge of us that's perfect. I pray that um, your joy would be our strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 